Hi, welcome. Um, I'm Olga Visa, director of the Hirshhorn, and it is my pleasure to welcome you to our Meet the Artist talk uh, with Hiroshi Sugimoto. And it's really a privilege to welcome back such a distinguished artist um, to the Hirshhorn. We first showed Hiroshi's photographs in 1999 in our Regarding Beauty exhibition. And for that uh, exhibition, he created another stunning installation, but a quite different installation of his seascapes. And it was really one of the highlights and culminating galleries um, in that exhibition. And since then, I'm pleased to say that we've been able uh, to show a deeper commitment to Hiroshi's art by bringing a number of photographs into the collection. Uh, and uh, organizing this comprehensive survey of his work, which just opened last evening um, here at the museum on the second floor. And the survey covers a period of 30 years and I think really uh, uh, questions, um, as all of Hiroshi's work so beautifully does, uh, the nature of truth and representation in photography. Hiroshi's exhibition will be on view through May 14th, and although the galleries are not open this evening after the talk, we invite you to come and come often um, and really uh, take in this really remarkable uh, and breathtaking, I think breathtaking installation. The exhibition is co-organized by the Hirshhorn Museum and the Mori Art Museum in Tokyo. And I want to acknowledge David Elliott, the director of the Mori Art Museum, who's here with us tonight as well as Carrie Brower, the Hirshhorn's Director of Art and Programs and Chief Curator, who collaborated as co-curators on this exhibition, and it's been a wonderful partnership uh, between our museums. Uh, I also want to acknowledge uh, curatorial staffs on our respective uh, museums. Mami Takaoka, Senior Curator uh, at the Mori Art Museum, is also here with us tonight, and the Hirshhorn's Kristen Heilman, who worked very closely with David uh, and with Carrie. Tonight, uh, the format for the program is we're going to invite uh, Hiroshi on the stage together with Carrie Brower, and they're going to have a dialogue and discussion about Hiroshi's work and his creative process. Um, before I introduce them and invite them to come up on the stage, uh, I want to acknowledge uh, the supporters of our exhibition. The exhibition is made possible by the Hellenia Trust, um, which is trust established in memory of Joseph Hirshhorn the Hirshhorn Board of Trustees, and also members of our annual circle, our annual donors who make so many of our programs um, here at the, in the, at the Hirshhorn possible. I also want to um, acknowledge uh, that we have an in-kind support from, for the international tour of the exhibition from Japan Airlines. And here locally, we have the partnership of the Embassy of Japan. And I want to acknowledge uh, Minister Kaitano, who is here uh, with us, and to thank you again for your partnership in working with us and celebrating this important exhibition. I want to welcome um, some additional special guests, Atsuko Koyanagi from Koyanagi Gallery in Tokyo, who works and represents uh, Hiroshi uh, in Tokyo. And I also want to acknowledge Gen Aihara, uh, who is Hiroshi's assistant and a wonderful artist who's been a great partner in all aspects of organizing this exhibition. I also want to acknowledge Michael Freed, uh, who's here with us tonight as well. Uh, he is the Boone Professor for Humanities at Johns Hopkins University, and he's going to be lecturing here on March 21st at noon. Uh, talking about Hiroshi's work as well um, as his work in the context of contemporary photography. So please mark your calendars for that. I also want to finally thank the Stephen and Heather Mnuchin Foundation uh, that makes our Meet the Artist series um, possible uh, in an ongoing way. This is the third year that they've supported um, this series. And as uh, one of the museums that's part of the Smithsonian Institution, we're very fortunate to receive an annual federal allocation that supports our ongoing operations. But our special programs and exhibitions uh, like Meet the Artist and this exhibition is made possible through private support and through our annual donors. So we invite your involvement in the museum um, through membership in the museum's annual circle. And we'll have information as you leave the museum about joining, uh, if you're interested um, in, in getting more involved at the Hirshhorn and um, getting involved in special events. But right now it's time to meet the artist. So I'd like to welcome Hiroshi Sugimoto and Carrie Brower to the stage. Thank you. First thing I'd like to discuss, uh -huh. because, and it will be seen uh, uh, <clears throat> over at the Sackler uh, beginning mm -hmm. on April 1st, 
uh, is a new collection that Hiroshi has begun maybe two years now. Right. It is a fossil collection. Mm -hmm. These are some images of the dioramas. Yes. Which you see uh, different ones from upstairs. But mm -hmm. maybe you could explain about the fossil collection uh, and its relationship to the dioramas. Yes. Well, my, uh, I started buying uh, uh, fossils, the real fossils. I started two, two years ago, so this is rather new. And uh, the reason why I decided to start buying, uh, collecting uh, fossils is because of my, my, my own uh, uh, photography. And this photo was taken at the Carnegie uh, Museum of Art. They have a natural history museum attached to the museum. So this supposedly 500 million years ago seen underwater when the, the first life start forming under the, under the water. And uh, it's called Cambrian period. And so uh, let me show you Bornean period. This is uh, 350 million years ago. It's, it's hard to imagine 350 million years ago. And the uh, Permian period, you know, this dinosaur period, this is uh, 250 to 200 million years ago. So uh, wh why not to buy the real thing? And <laughs> this is also come, uh, Cambrian period, 500 million years ago. And then it's, it's, it's a huge piece. It's like uh, two, three meters long. And uh, it's called, called the trilobite. And this seems like an like ancestor of cockroach or something. But at the same time, this is an ancestor of our life as well, the yes. human being as well. Yes. So, uh, and then I found interesting, interesting uh, uh, fact that the fossil works exactly the same as uh, photography. So this is a, a pre-photography time recording devices, which I named it. So, you know, this trilobite <laughs> <laughs> so was written. Fossil is now a dead word. It's a fossil itself. So it's a right. pre, what is it? Pre-recording? Pre-photography time recording devices. Yes. <laughs> so the 500 million years ago, those creatures were living under the, un, un, under the water. And all of a sudden, maybe uh, underwater uh, eruption of the volcano came, and all of a sudden, just uh, crashed to the ground. And it's, uh, it's, it's been there for 500 million years. And then one of us, you know, and then this was underground once, but now it came up to the ground. This, is a Morocco, uh, this was found in Morocco. So the, uh, the archaeologists came and dig it and just opened it. And wow, this is an impression of the time of 500 million years ago. So this is a positive side. The other, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so I like to fooling people. But uh, you know, this shows clearly that my uh, tendency to you know, how to record the time as a concept. So from the very early stage, my interest was time-related uh, project. Yes, I mean, you know. I, I think, you know, in, in the seascapes, mm -hmm. uh, in many ways, in, in, the, in, the, in the motion picture theaters in which right. you leave the shutter open for the entire duration of the mm -hmm. film, in the dioramas, the interest in time there, in right. the fossil collecting, it, it, uh, there's so much to do with time and, and mm -hmm. memory in these works. So this was an unmatured stage of time conscious. Yeah, although you look pretty close to a conceptualist here. Well, uh, I'll show you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, then this is now I'm back. No, no. Uh, this is uh, 1974 after graduating, graduation of my college at the Art Center College of Design. So I came to New York. And I start wondering and I start shooting uh, around New York City scenes with 35 millimeter camera, Nikon. It's not a large format 8x10 yet. And then I went to uh, American Museum of Natural History and start you know, shooting something like this. So this is yeah, one of them. Then I get serious. Well, this is something weird and something interesting is going on. Let's, let's bring my serious 8.10 camera and then let's frame it without museum frame. Then it might be something look different. And then this is the first one that you, you, you see it upstairs. This yeah. is the first serious successful artwork. Well, what was, it, what was it that drew you to the Natural History Museum to begin with? I mean, you, you've mentioned that right. you, 
you kept winding up there. Uh -huh. And you've also mentioned that you, you, there were ways of looking mm -hmm. that uh, occurred to you at the time in terms right. of kind of one-eyed vision. Right. Well, after spending three years, late 60s, early 70s, then I, I had a problem with having a hallucinogenic visions all the time. Three years in California that time. So, <laughs> so uh, when I came to New York, you know, this, this is something strange. And you know, this is something I always encounter, the vision of the reality. Some, sometimes, you know, I, 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 I lose the, the, the feeling of solidness of the reality. You know, it's, it's here and, and just it's a solid concrete building, but somehow it looks like uh, unreal things. It's just uh, so thin and just the paper thin, the projected image might be a rea reality for me. So uh, uh, this can be uh, some kind of, uh, uh, it, it can be psychological disorder of some kind, but uh, well, let's, let's use this my, my nature of seeing things can be projected onto my photographic vision so that I can call it as my art. So, and this... So, so, so the world to you mm -hmm. doesn't feel as real in some ways as... To begin with, the solidness of the world as a vision. Uh, maybe I, I had too, too much drug while I was in uh, California, <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I took it rather serious. It seems like as many people understand. Yeah, as, as my age, you know, 50, mid 50s, and living in this country, you know, against Vietnam and Kent University, you know, and then, uh, yes, yeah, so, well, even the, uh, President Clinton took the marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> he inhaled he here, did not right? Inhale. <laughs> Up here, right? <laughs> So that was the culture of that time in the 60s and 70s, and I, I really enjoyed, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I rather took it serious, you know, just having some small LSD and put it into my body and change my vision for a couple of days. And then, you know, this is uh, some kind of interesting uh, philosophical study, how how my uh, uh, thinking and vision can be changed with so little you know, presence of the material. <laughs> so I, I was curious about my, uh, my uh, condition of mentality, you know. I thought it's very stable, you know, <laughs> till I moved to California, but everything gets so suspicious. <laughs> and uh, I am very interested in psychology, so I just decided to use my body and, and brain to, to test it how much you know, material can affect my mind. And then it's just very, you know, the dosage is very important. So that, that was one of my study myself in California. David, I think you and I totally missed it in the outside. <laughs> <laughs> well, I shouldn't say this, but uh, well. <laughs> So this uh, the diorama looks so unreal to me, but yeah. it's at the same time it's a, a real. Yes, and you talked to me once about also mm -hmm. this this notion that you had in, in New York that it occurred to you one day uh -huh. um, about um, covering one of your eyes. Ah yes, right. What was that about? So when I was you know shooting visiting the American Museum of Natural History, and you know, I I just cover my one eye, and then all of a sudden. It's a camera vision. Camera is one, one eye vision. And the humans or, or other mammals, you know, why we have two eyes, not just one eye? Because we, we have to measure the distance, uh, the perspective, so that you measure you know, from the two dif different angles and you, you, you focus on this so that you can uh, uh, develop the sense how far the ob this object is. So if you look at the, uh, the diorama uh, with two eyes, then you instantly measure the, the backdrops as only like uh, 10 feet away. Mm -hmm. But uh, when you close one eye, then you lose this sense of depth. Of depth. Then it just looks like uh, it's just continuously running into the, uh, the uh, field. Yeah.
Well, yeah. it, it introduces an idea, which mm -hmm. I don't know is true or not, but for mm -hmm. me, it, it, it works in thinking about your work, mm -hmm. which is this idea that somehow mm -hmm. uh, all your work is, is about photography, but it's a mm -hmm. kind of photography that isn't about the history of photography. Mm -hmm. it, it's a photography that almost exists in your mind mm -hmm. and in your, your, your vision of the world, mm -hmm. perhaps even before photography was born, right. you know, it was before mm -hmm. it was invented. Um, mm -hmm. And the things that you often pick out to mm -hmm. photograph strike me as, as often uh, things that are uh, precursors for, to photography. Mm -hmm. uh, whether you're collecting fossils or whether mm -hmm. it's a diorama that uh, right. you know, is, freezes time in some way. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Or a way of taking uh, a movie theater, which is mm -hmm. a black box and right. it's like a camera obscuring mm -hmm. itself, letting mm -hmm. light in from some other world, right. uh, which then you photograph because you're inside the camera. Mm -hmm. So I feel more like uh, not the photographer, but the, the painter who first start painting the vision onto the cave wall so that I can project my kind of inner vision onto some kind of surface. So that, uh, you know, this is usually photography, photographer uh, try to capture the image outside of himself or herself. But in my case, I'm just trying to project my own inner vision onto the screen of the reality. So this is the way I see. So it's, as long as I can see it the way I, can, I want to see it, then it, it, it must be able to be photographed the way I see things. So that... So, that so the photograph is inside. Photograph is here. Let's project on the reality. Which is a completely different way of working than mm -hmm. many well-known 20th century photographers. Mm -hmm. you know, uh, had, which was like the street photographers who were shooting very right. quickly, very rapidly along the street, capturing mm -hmm. hundreds of, uh, 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 you know, uh, images and then, right. you know, choosing one out mm -hmm. of a bunch. For yeah. you, it's there first and yeah. then you figure out how to create, mm -hmm. create it from Yes. So I usually, uh, it's a single shot rifle, it's just one bullet and shoot, get hit. Right. Yeah. Mr. Cheney is a different kind of gun. <laughs> 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 I think the street photographers were more the scatter shot. Right. Single bullet. Right. Single bullet. But actually, and, and what's interesting is, is the slowness of your approach, too. The uh -huh. way it takes a lot of time to right. set up these shots mm -hmm. and to think about them. And there's a page here which shows some of your thinking about the Right. Shots. So this was the. Yeah, record of my uh, diagram shooting. And it says uh, high energy coverage, which you, you, you see it upstairs. So I, I made a four exposure first from the fourth, F64, 30 minutes for the first, and then two shots, and then uh, 45 minutes and 20 minutes, and then processed with ex, uh, the developer D23 for 68, at the 68 degree, 60 minutes and seven minutes. So it's very technical, but uh, this is I'm very kind of scientific oriented in a way. And well, well, without getting into it too deeply, it's interesting to me to see that you're using F64. Mm -hmm. You don't even try anything else. It's F64, F64. Right. And so what you're doing is getting, I assume, mm -hmm. uh, an incredibly deep, detailed detail. and sharp. Yeah. I don't, I don't care how how much longer it takes. You know, 30 minutes sitting there, it's just boring. But uh, well, that A must be F64 is the first condition. So the famous F64 club member. Right. I'm the last one. <laughs> mm. Right. Here we go on. So this is uh, the final. Mm. And it's, it's very dark there. I, I don't bring any of my writing uh, equipment. So this is actually existing right. So, so there's no artificial light, just the light that, the light that was in the museum, or did you take the light out of the museum? Uh, no, I used the existing light. So this is the way how the museum is lit. But uh, this is so artificially lit, so uh, it's a bunch of uh, tungsten lights up there. And then the problem is the sky part gets so, so harsh and overexposed. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. sometimes I do, during the 30 minutes exposure, I just uh, uh, put the black t-shirts and black cap, everything black, so that even I show up in front of the lens, I will be invisible for the camera. And then having a board, black board, 
to cover the top part for 10, 15 minutes so that I can balance the, the density on the bottom foreground and sky body. So, I, so you're actually in these shots? Yeah, yeah, it's in front of the, the grass and uh, like uh, Japanese bundak puppet theater. I, should, I shouldn't be visible yes. and just controlling the, the light value to, to, to match the body of the photography. Interesting. So well, that's one of the problems 19th century photographers mm -hmm. have. That the yeah, Gustave Rougret, yeah, usually the, the Gustave Rougret is a famous seascapes photographer. He used a double negative. Yeah. So he shoot yeah, sky first and then, uh, then the water, and yeah, then they just them put them together. Yeah, otherwise the sky burns right. quite white. Yeah. So mine is more sophisticated way. <laughs> 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 I don't fake it up. <laughs> So, yeah, these are the record of the diorama shooting. Oh. <laughs> I, I so, threw this in. Hiroshi didn't know this was going to happen, but uh, uh -huh. I, uh, I wanted you to see a picture of Hiroshi just as he was moving to New York. Right, and, uh, I was <laughs> sort of in awe of uh, right. what was going to come uh, in your career. But actually, who you were in awe of was uh, uh, this ah, woman. Right. Yeah. Oh, well, this is even older. This, yeah. uh, I shot this uh, when I was a junior high year student, maybe 12, uh, no, it was 14 or 15 14. years, 14. I was in love with uh, uh, Audrey Hepburn. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to, to get her uh, photos. So I decided to go into the movie theater and then take uh, photos of the movie itself. So this is the first movie shot I did. And then I started, you know, it's very difficult to, to make a movie image stop in, in the still photography. So I, I studied it and it says, uh, uh, well, F, uh, yeah, it's, a old, it's written in Japanese. But the one thirtieth of the second makes the movie image stop. Uh, other shutter speeds makes lying in, be in between uh, the images. So, and it's just, I process it by myself. So I was uh, at uh, 14 years old. I was already good established photographer, you know, te technically. <laughs> what was sort of interesting about it is uh -huh. that uh, it has a lot of your future work in it. In yes. a way, going into movie theaters, mm -hmm. uh, uh, trying to and capture curious. something on the screen, right. uh, the portrait, mm -hmm. um, um, idea, and the sense of time, too, you right. know, that you're actually taking a film and something mm -hmm. that exists and in motion, you're reducing down to a still image. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I wanted to publish this, but uh, the copyright problem, so this is the first time to be shown to the public <laughs> without permission. Uh -oh. <laughs> And then this is uh, never shown before, but this is the first test of my movie theater series. Uh, it's called St. Mark Cinema in New York, uh, A Street and uh, 2nd Avenue. It's a Wanderer theater. It's so filthy, lousy theater. Fil filthy yeah. theater. Yes. It's, you know, when you walk, the, wall, uh, the floor is so sticky. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I don't remember this one. <laughs> <laughs> but you, uh -huh. you told me at one point that mm -hmm. uh, for the, the theaters, yeah. that it wasn't a matter of just experimenting in the theater. I mean, it was that, but mm -hmm. it wasn't that you came upon this idea accidentally. Right. The, the vision, vision of came a first. bright screen, mm -hmm. a bright white rectangle yes. came to you first. Yes. So one night, you know, uh, I got this vision. So, <laughs> again, it's probably kind of hallucinogenic vision. But, uh, you know, I was thinking one night that what, what if I uh, uh, take a picture of the entire movie for an hour and a half or two hours, then it must be this vision that the screen gets so overexposed, so it's almost like a light is burning out from the screen and lit the interior of the theater. So I just envisioned it. So next step is, just go, go into the theater and let's, let's test it and let's, let's make it happen the way I, I envisioned it. Mm -hmm. And this is amazing, it's the first test. And uh, I set my camera, I just sneak in basis. I can't explain to other people what I'm going to do. And it's an eight by 10 camera, it's a big camera. So I cannot even uh, sit in the center. I was so uh, shy. <laughs> 
and I set my camera, just sneak in, and then let's... Took a test. Took a test, wide open anyway. And this was for the whole duration of the film? Yes. yes. And I processed it, and I got and the negative. Working. Yes, I, I, I amazed by myself. <laughs> 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 wow, you're good. <laughs> and then this is the second test. This theater still exists, I think, in the 20s, first or second street in 7th Avenue. No longer movie theater. But uh, yes, so I just, so second test, it's confirmed that this will work. Yeah. So let's take it serious. And then this is the first one I place my camera in the center and I get the, get the proper permission to do this from a, a movie theater chain called the United Artists. So the first time, this is the, the, the first serious successful shot. <coughs> so the decoration of the theater wasn't my uh, main interest. Right. But I was young and unknown, so I thought, well, let's make it something decorative a little bit. <laughs> oh, I remember this was a por porno movie in the Queens. <laughs> Basketball player, uh, the uh, coach for the young uh, girl, girl school. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't want to explain anymore. You know, Hiroshi, I'm sorry. <laughs> we have to move on because we can't show those kind of things. In the, in the I see. <laughs> so this is the one up there. I remember this year, this movie was in the, back in 1977 uh, or 8, and then uh, Saturday Night Fever. Saturday Night Fever. Yes. <laughs> John Travolta. So here we have Saturday Night Fever, the entire film. Yes. But in one image. Yes. One image. One yes. Image. Right. Mm -hmm. so. And then this is, well, this is the driving theater. Well, then, then moving to uh, uh, seascapes, right? Yeah, these were interesting because I had never really <coughs> seen these before. The first time I saw one of these photographs really mm -hmm. was uh, in your History of History show. Right. And uh, I think we have uh, the one that's in the show coming up here. But mm -hmm. in a way, they were a bit of a precursor for the seascapes. Right. Again, and I, uh, I was thinking of how to, to visualize the, the water images before I, uh, I get to this concept of seascape series. So uh, I went back to Japan in 1977 to, to, to get the, I was permitted to, to get the green card. So I have to go to uh, American embassy in Tokyo to, to receive it. So I spent uh, about uh, a few, few months in Japan and then I start uh, uh, traveling, uh, photographing uh, uh, waterfall in Japan. Hmm. And it's one of them. This is uh, the second one. This is a famous Kegon waterfall, which is a part, uh, the, the part of the uh, uh, history of history show. Mm -hmm. uh, you will see it in Washington, April 1st, yes. at the Fria Sakura. But you were experimenting right. with exposures and with um, mm -hmm. uh, how long to keep the, uh, right. the shutter open. Mm -hmm. But this is more like a straightforward photography. But uh, the nature worship of Japan is, you know, this is uh, very interesting to me. So I kind of get spirit spiritualized uh, from the water, waterfall series to traveling around. And then it gave me a kind of idea. Well, let's go into more abstract uh, design. And then, well, it gave me an idea to, to move into the seascapes like this. Yes. The sharp horizon line in the center and air and water, and that's it. Yeah. I, mm -hmm. I mean, what's, I think, wonderful about these photographs mm -hmm. is that they go against what most mm -hmm. photographs of the ocean <coughs> right. tend to do. I mean, mm -hmm. most of them are shot on the beach, usually mm -hmm. with some, some beach right. hand or, or mm -hmm. a painting with a, a, a mm -hmm. sailboat. These mm -hmm. are very starkly minimalist. Right. Uh, but they, they seem to do something. You mentioned actually in your reminiscences as a child that mm -hmm. you used to take a train along the coast right. and you looked down from the coast uh, mm -hmm. at the ocean. Mm -hmm. And there was this idea that almost mm -hmm. nothing in the world had actually uh, mm -hmm. you know, remained the same as it mm -hmm. was millions of years ago. Right. Except perhaps the view mm -hmm. of the ocean from this uh, right. perspective. Mm -hmm. And you shoot these. Um, from above, 
-hmm. rather than standing on the shore, down mm -hmm. on the earth. And each one of them is, is constructed in the same way, simply same dividing it in yes. half with, with the, the sky and the water, or mm -hmm. uh, simple elements. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I think like oh, yeah. that this shows is... <laughs> how you do it. Yeah, many people ask whether you, uh, I was on the boat or you know, shooting from the airplane. But uh, this is a, the typical site uh, I usually shoot. It's just kind of dangerous. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a good thing we didn't lose you a long time ago. <laughs> uh, this is the sea coast from Italy to uh, the Greece, so uh, one of the Mediterranean. And I like Italy because the food is very good around <laughs> the sea, sea coast. <laughs> Mm -hmm. But then you made this decision not mm -hmm. to photograph the same ocean mm -hmm. over and over, yeah. but different oceans around the world. Right. And, and yet always with the same uh, composition. Same composition. And then it's amazingly, just, it's different from location to location. And I found it's very interesting because it's the same seascapes. But uh, according to the different peoples and living uh, for a long time, and culture wise, you know, language, you know, the same water and air, the people named differently. You know, oh. So, uh, Yellow Sea from China and Red Sea from Egypt, you know, and then also Black Sea. Why it's called Black Sea? I'm very curious. So, uh, I picked the name, interesting name first, and then go there, and then I photograph it. So, I just, uh, very interesting of the early stage of people naming things, like very simple matter water itself, or seascapes. So this is uh, like a tracing back to the uh, ancient time when the human being start gaining consciousness, which means the development of the language and the words. So how people name, name the things, in you know, what sequence. That's, I think it's related to, to uh, well, this is my relation to my childhood consciousness. When, when I first saw this, Seascapes. This is one of my oldest memory that uh, you know, I, I, I remember this seeing, seeing it, and it gave me very strong impression. And then since that moment, I realized that I'm, I'm here, living in this world. I'm a human being. I am thinking. I am I'm conscious about this world. So it may trace back not only my childhood memory, but it may trace back to the entire human consciousness memory before, I don't know, before that, you know, it's just we, we, we uh, all evolved from that uh, under the water creatures. And then oh, so, okay. level, yes. First, uh, First image. image. Yeah. Yes. And so in a way, it's time mm -hmm. travel in yes. some sense. I mean, in, in, in these photographs of, of the ocean, um, mm -hmm. you're actually exploring the notion that photography doesn't necessarily just have to capture mm -hmm. the here and now, but if you do it right, you can mm -hmm. also kind of capture the sense of before uh, uh, mankind was even around, before mm -hmm. the sea was named the sea, right. or the oceans were named ocean. Mm -hmm. People don't figure, uh, have uh -huh. a big role in most of your, your photographs, actually. Uh, yes. Uh, at least uh, living people. <laughs> <laughs> so I want people to wander around and leave, you know, kind of start wondering what this you know, guy is doing, the seascapes. It's so simple. So you can uh, project, the viewer can project your own uh, imagination onto the seascapes. So people, it, it recall the personal memories of, of self, I think. Yeah. This is uh, for the night seascapes? This is night seascapes. Every time I, I study the location and geographic location and the phase of the moon and planet and sun, so that I can, and the right side is uh, the, the sketches, you know, where I'm supposed to be, and then the moon, particular day of the year and months, and I should be facing east, and the moon comes up in certain direction with half moon or full moon, so that I can get the reflection designed onto the surface of the sea. And so it's, it's kind of complicated. This is even my sketch, <laughs> and the earth, and I'm standing on this point, and then what well, moon is supposed to be here on a certain time. So it's very well pre-calculated. It's not just by accident. Usually, photography is accident, but yes. mine is not non-accident. Right. Uh, this is different yeah. well, scene, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
We now enter into other territory. Uh, right. <laughs> some of you may not know, but actually um, Hiroshi spent quite a number of years mm -hmm. as a um, uh, Japanese antiquities dealer mm -hmm. uh, in New York uh, City mm -hmm. and was actually very successful at this. Ah, yes. Uh, I've known Jim Urak at Flea for a long <laughs> time before he became director of the museum. I was totally in a different business. <laughs> so. And mm -hmm. And at one point, I remember you said there was mm -hmm. a moment in your life, actually, mm -hmm. where you had to make a choice between being a um, gallerist mm -hmm. and yes. actually or uh, selling uh, yes. his works and mm -hmm. choosing to be a photographer. Right. But I'm curious. You'll see some of these in the History of History show. Mm -hmm. um, but it would be interesting to hear a little bit about um, <laughs> how you got into this and then mm -hmm. also how this has influenced your photography. Right. Yes. Well, this, uh, uh, by, by the way, this is uh, the portrait of uh, Prince Shotoku, uh, and it's a sculpture, small sculpture about this big, and uh, uh, made in the 13th century, Kamakura period. Uh, one of the, uh, the first serious museum quality piece I bought, and I sold it to a Princeton Museum, mm -hmm. Princeton Art Museum. <clears throat> and uh, it's a long story, make a short, you know, I was a starving artist, and then I married uh, to a Japanese girl, and then we had a baby, and then we have a financial problem. So uh, my wife started a small uh, antique shop in Soho. And then, uh, then I started helping her. And then I went back to Japan and started buying uh, antiques. Without, I, I had no education, no art history, Japanese art history education. But uh, as, as I do it, I get so heavily involved, you know, things I like, I want to buy. And, Within the five years, I became the, the one of the, 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 the top museum dealer because I was in a very good position. I was only Japanese art dealer living in this country and dealing in Japanese art. So I can pretend that I'm a genuine Japanese art dealer. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, I can quickly you know, study it. And, and then uh, I, I loved it. And then I found that just some, some, some kind of influence onto my art, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm just buying things, uh, rather expensive things for the museum and just living together with it. Then I can, I can just uh, feel it very strongly, the, the craftsmanship and then uh, spiritual quality, level of the spiritual quality. These are not made as a commercial object, you know, it's just kind of religious object. But, uh, sleeping, living together, then I can inhale the spirits of, of the, the quality. So, uh, well, I, I try to, I, I appreciate so much about the quality level of, of 12th, 13th century Japanese art. So I decided to compete with my standard of the art, uh, matching to the, the quality with, that I like, which is not the contemporary art field of now, but, uh, but 12th, 13th century quality of the art. I'll show you some of the, my former collection. And then I even published the first photography book is uh, uh, my uh, uh, antique dealer catalog. So not, not even a photography uh, book. Uh, this is also 12th century uh, beautiful flying Amida. And then uh, it uh, went to a Jackson Buck collection, Mary, Mary in Jackson Buck collection, New York. This I still have it, so this will be shown as a part of the uh, history of history show. This is also 12th century Shinto uh, deity, and it's, it's, it's a very sim simplified, but yet so strong. And this is a tantric Buddhism, Bajira. It's one is 12th century, one is 13th century. It was sold to a Metropolitan Museum. So uh, as I practice this dealership, I start learning how to lead the curator's mentality of thinking. <laughs> it's rather difficult, but it's, once you get trained, it's so easy. <laughs> so finally, Matt was one of my major clients, and at, 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 uh, after dealing uh, like uh, 10 years, and they, they gave me a show as a one-man show, not as a dealer, but uh, for the artist. So without Matt, I couldn't be survived. <laughs> and then back to my art. <laughs> well, we, we put these in because um, mm -hmm. one of the things that I wanted to sort of bring up is mm -hmm. that 
uh, right from the start, I mm -hmm. think, um, your approach to photography mm -hmm. uh, was not just to make individual photographs. Right. I mean, it, yes, it is that, of course, to some mm -hmm. degree, but it wasn't just to make individual photographs, but it was to make installations. Right. And so the, <laughs> the environment, the architecture, mm -hmm. the sequence of the work, the way mm -hmm. it's laid out, has always been extremely important for you. Mm -hmm. and, and actually, so we shot, thought we would share right. a, a few mm -hmm. different... Um, this is the Carnegie. Carnegie, 1991. The first time I uh, made uh, outside waterproofed wa uh, seascapes, placed, uh, placed within the cascade. And then it's, it's a show run from uh, October through next uh, uh, spring. So during the winter time, it it's became one chunk of broken uh, ice frozen inside. Wonderful. Bordeaux? Bordeaux. CAPC Bordeaux. So it's, it's and, been traveling around the world. And what's interesting is the way you hang the pieces outdoors. Mm -hmm. And I remember one of the times we talked about uh, your seascapes originally mm -hmm. was that you had no fear at all about uh, these <clears throat> fading. Fading, yes. I want, want them to be faded. And then just sometimes it's disappear. Then this is a, it may remain some kind of traces of time past, so that photography is very visible, but it's just traces of time. That's I, what I wanted to get. Yeah. But so far, the group of the, the, those photos been traveling around the world almost 10 years. So far, nothing changed, unfortunately. <laughs> if our conservators are here tonight, I'd <laughs> This is a very beautiful show. Oh, yes. Who curated this show? <laughs> <laughs> this was a show, Hiroshi, and I did at MOCA back in right. 1993. Right. And, uh, it, mm -hmm. it, even then, it was, it was very clear. It was just a small seascape show that mm -hmm. we did. And uh, uh, one room one was room is day. day seascapes, and the next room over it's was the night, night seascapes. seascapes. Night one is good. This is Hara Museum Arc, not the one in Tokyo, but uh, outside, of, outside of Tokyo. And it's designed by uh, Isozaki. Isozaki. It's a beautiful museum. Yeah. Yes. Same as Moka, Isozaki. Ah, yes, right. Uh, this is Sainsbury Same. Center, Norwich, uh, England. The, uh, these, the Buddha. These are the Buddhas. Right. And I, I, I have a feeling that, you know, an, a number of the people in the audience, if they've seen the exhibition, might be fascinated uh, to mm -hmm. know a little more about the Buddha series mm -hmm. and um, uh, what it, how, what, how it was shot in mm -hmm. Kyoto, right. what it is, the shrine, and, mm -hmm. and your reason for actually installing it uh, the way you Together, did. right. Well, this is the way it used to be uh, the shown, but now from Mori Museum here at the Hashwam, I decided to put them all together. And it's very spectacular, and it's, I think it's works, working fine. Uh, many, many, of, uh, many people may visit this famous temple called Sanjo Sangeno in Kyoto. This building was built in the 12th century with 1,000 statues, canon, they almost human size. So it's, to me, this is more like a watered Maria's broken kilometer, like you know, conceptual art of the 12th century. And, uh, and then uh, once it was uh, burned down in the 13th century, so it's been standing there for almost 700 years. And uh, I envisioned the concept of this uh, uh, art. Actually, the architect designed this building with 1,000 uh, uh, Kannon figures facing east, so that uh, uh, when the sun comes up, it's hit the, the shoji screen in front of 1,000 figure, and then only for one hour, it's just the, the gold uh, leaves shine out from the, from the temple and it's spectacular, it's so gorgeous. And then only one hour, it's, but the, the temple opens to the public from nine. And even the monk, the Buddhist priest, they don't come to, to this particular moment. And then I just guessed and imagined this should be the conceptual, uh, very important concept of this building. Why don't I uh, photograph it and uh, let them show it? I understand but it took the, a long time. Yeah, because the, 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 the priests, they have no interest at all. <laughs> I cannot explain how important this moment is. The, the, well, the, uh, the priests, 
from the 12th century, the people used to be uh, do some ceremony on this particular moment that the, the tradition completely forgotten. Yes, so it took seven years for me to get the permission. And then they are very snobbish people. And uh, when I had the chance to, to do a show at the Met, that's the first time. So well, I saw, well, this is a good chance to, to ask them again to get the permission. So I asked uh, Philippe de Montevero, museum director, to write a very nice letter. This is the artist, Hiroshi Sugimoto. And then we are planning to have his show, one-man show. Please let him give, uh, give him a permission to, to photograph your, your temple. The answer was no, clearly, <laughs> yes. Uh, all the American people, they come and see us. We don't go out to show us. Ah. That's the answer. Uh -huh. How can I say? <laughs> wow. How did you finally get permission? Then I asked again to write a nice letter to uh, government, uh, uh, cultural minister, Japan, from Philippe de Montevero. And then I asked cultural minister to ask temples. And then they finally said, because they are receiving uh, almost like a 200000 $300,000 every year to restore the temple. So they cannot say no to the, the, the government. <laughs> <laughs> so with this letter, they said, well, this is a re request from the, the cultural minister. We, this time, we don't say no. <laughs> they never say yes. They never said yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this is an outdoor work. Right, this yeah. is the up the appeal. It's uh, Amsterdam. Yes. And uh, well, this is a uh, uh, Guggenheim Museum show downtown. <clears throat> and then I did, uh, well, we are not showing this, but uh, this is uh, Last Supper. Yes. Uh, so this is where you introduced or one of the first introductions of the large uh, portraits. Right. Yes. Which came out of your uh, a series of smaller wax. Mm -hmm. uh, wax figures out of uh, uh, Madame Tussauds and Moody right. Wax Museum and mm -hmm. places like that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And so this is where people actually have come into your, uh, your photographs, uh, mm -hmm. in a way. Only, again, not living people, but tableaus, right. Right. tableau vivant. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. This was the last show of that Guggenheim downtown Soho. Also, Isozaki designed this space. Aha. Yes. And I understand they didn't have any money, so your sign stayed up after it closed for uh, right about for a two year. years. Two years. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and a Prada shop opened downstairs. Yeah. So we, without no Prada shop name, so people get confused and step into Prada shop and think this is my my shop. Your exhibition. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's still time to become a fashion designer. And we wanted to put uh, this in because at the Mori Museum we actually had the space uh, there to. Uh, include in the exhibition something that Hiroshi had designed, uh, uh, I guess, for Dia uh, originally. Yes. Well, we have. Um, mm -hmm. And um, uh, mm -hmm. we included it at the Mori Museum. It's very beautiful. Um, and I think this is actually a shot from Bregan's. Right. Um, and it includes the pine trees, which are traditional. Um, backdrops uh, for the backdrops North, North for Theater. The no, no theater performance, mm -hmm. but it's uh, a, a stage designed by Hiroshi. Right. So this, again, this is more like a solid with like North Stage. And then this is actually the, the dear art uh, performance of No, no Pray. Yes. It's everything is lit by uh, uh, candlelight, that candlelight. So I'm just recreating uh, medieval 15th century quality of the Japanese theater in yeah. this case. I know there's a book that influenced you um, a great deal in Praise of Shadows. I influenced by Tanizaki. Tanizaki, yes. yes. Mm. Uh, so we... Uh, this, this is probably good. a good one to uh, mm -hmm. perhaps end on in, in yes. a way, because I'd like to open it up to, to the audience too, but we'd mm -hmm. like to show you this um, uh, work, which we obviously can't bring in to mm -hmm. the museum. This is uh, a Shinto shrine, which right. Hiroshi uh, renovated, yes. pretty much re mm -hmm. rebuilt, uh, that's uh, on the um, island of Naoshima right. uh, off Japan. The first uh, architecture commission as, as an artist or as an architect so in this case, uh, not so much photographic uh, aspect get involved, but there's some, some little, yes. Well, the interesting thing, uh, mm -hmm. at least for me, is that the steps that lead up to the shrine uh, have been made out of um, the same glass that camera lenses yes. are, are ground from. So mm -hmm. this means that the light 
pours down mm -hmm. the steps. Yes, beautiful. From the shrine. It's crystal clear. And enters mm -hmm. underground into um, a chamber uh, that's underground, uh, mm -hmm. uh, a dark chamber. Yes, so the only light can travel through this underground chamber. Yeah, people cannot. Right? People cannot. But there's a passageway to get into this underground chamber. Uh, this, is a, the, this is a passage for human to get in, so this is just the entrance of the underground chamber. I and mean, it, to me, it strikes me very much that what uh -huh. you had in mind here was creating a kind of link between a sort of spirituality, mm -hmm. between the Buddhas, in a mm -hmm. way, and photography. Right. I mean, it's a giant camera in, yes. in many ways. So this is underground dark chamber, which works almost similar to the camera, because mm -hmm. I'm using this optical quality glass and let the lights in. Yeah, and in a similar mm -hmm. way to the movie theaters, receiving this light from mm -hmm. a kind of fictive world, yes. uh, you're receiving this sort of spiritual light down mm -hmm. from the shrine into mm -hmm. the, the dark chamber right. below. And, and then, then as people walk out through this uh, concrete uh, small passage, then what people encounter is the actual seascapes, not, not the photographic vision in this, this case. Yeah. It's exactly the same. Thing. It's a real thing. Very yeah. beautiful. Mm -hmm. I think, Hiroshi, what I'd like to do is go uh -huh. to this photo <laughs> um, to, to end the discussion uh -huh. and uh, talk about this. This is right. um, uh, the blind photographer. A portrait of blind photographer. Portrait this of is blind uh, photographer. this is what I titled it. The, uh, the most recent self-portrait. And uh, the guy looks familiar to me. It's a self self-portrait. Mm -hmm. And in, in in some way, I think this sort of sums everything up uh -huh. in some way because I think your work is probably more about mm -hmm. your own inner vision right. of of the world mm -hmm. than it is uh, studying the external vision right. that's actually out there. Mm -hmm. And so the blind photographer seems a right. perfect metaphor for, mm -hmm. for your work. Right. So I'm almost not, not uh, looking at the outside world. I'm just looking into my inner world. So in that sense, I'm blinded in a way. But I want to, to project my inner vision onto the outside world. So I'm wearing this thick grass. So it's almost uh, uh, the, uh, the vision is and unclear, and it's almost invisible visions. I just project, try to project myself onto the outside world. Well, thank you for yeah. talking about your work. Thank you. Thank you.